Hello, my pastor friend. It's Dean Taylor here on Shepherdology, and this is episode 23. I'm recording this about the middle of August, here at the uh, nearing the end of summer 2021. And I know we've come through a year and, and a little over a year, in fact, coming up on a year and a half now of dealing with issues related to COVID and how you're responding to that and just the normal burdens of ministry. And I continue to hope and pray that uh, this podcast is an encouragement to you I have been blessed and encouraged by response, and I'll talk about that in just a minute, from some who listen, and uh, it's helpful to me just to know that this is connecting with you and providing something substantial and helpful. That is certainly my desire and my prayer. I want to start today with an encouraging truth, then we're going to talk about a topic and then end with prayer for you, as uh, we customarily do here on Shepherdology. So let's get rolling. First of all, here is an encouraging truth for you. Your identity is in Christ, not your church. I found this to be one of my greatest struggles as a pastor. When you are a pastor, you are linked to the life of your church. And it's kind of like being a parent. Uh, When my kids would say Happy Father's Day sometimes, I would say, well, I couldn't do it without you because you're a parent because you have children. The same is true with being a pastor. You're a pastor because you have a church. And so your your life, your work, your calling is linked to your church. But we can get into problems when we start finding our identity in the church. And what I mean by that is that we view the status of the church as a reflection of who I am and what I do as a pastor And my state of mind and my emotions are determined by how I am linked to the church and the condition of the church, the status of the church, and it affects me very deeply and very profoundly. And that was something that I really wrestled with and struggled with as a pastor. And again, it's kind of like being a parent, because as a parent, if your children are not doing well, it seems like that's a reflection of the kind of parent that you are. And it's true. You are a pastor because there is this entity called the church, and there's no being a pastor without having a church to pastor. And and a lot of what you do and who you are does bear fruit uh, in the life of the church. But when I say identity, what I mean is, who are you? Who are you? People say, well, who are you? What do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. And that becomes your identity, and everything about you is linked to that, and your your state of mind and your sense of well-being and your emotions can be determined by that. But the truth is, here is your identity. Your identity is you are a man. You're a human being. And because of that, you are frail. You have limitations. You grow weary. You don't have all the answers. You sometimes stumble and struggle and even fall. You have, have limitations that keep you from being everything that people need or that your church needs. You're a man. You're a man who is a frail human being that, as Psalm 103 says, is like grass that withers and fades. But let me add a very important element to that. You are a man, but you are also a Christian. Your identity is you are a Christian. You are in union with with Jesus Christ. As Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. 
Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And just like Paul understood that his identity was linked to Jesus Christ, yours is as well. You're united with Christ. A great passage on that is Romans chapter 6, right into chapter 7 through chapter 8, that reminds you of your union with Christ, and that's who you are. So your identity is that you're a man, you're a Christian in union with Christ, and you are a member of the body of Christ. You are part of the church. You're not just the pastor of a church. You are part of the church. You're a member of the body of Christ, and you are joined to the body by the Spirit. You are vital to the body because of your gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 is a great passage on that topic. The Holy Spirit has placed you. He has energized you. He has connected you. He is working through you to give life to the body and to build up the church of Jesus Christ. So you're a member of the body of Christ, just like every other member of the church is. So you're a man. You're a frail human being. You're a Christian. You're in union with Jesus Christ. You're a member of the body joined to and vital to the life of the church, the body of Christ. And then if you're married, you're a husband. That's part of who you are. You are a father. You're a neighbor. You're a community member. You have these these roles and these functions that flow out of your identity. And yes, you're a pastor, and that's a big part of your role and your function as well. But it's one of those functions and roles that you have. I was uh, sharing with a friend recently that I am having a bad year of beekeeping. That's one of my hobbies. I enjoy keeping honeybees. And uh, there have been several maladies over this past spring and summer that have uh, caused problems with some of my beehives. And I've lost a few beehives. They've actually died out. I have a couple more that are struggling, and they probably won't be producing any honey that I can harvest this year. And I feel like a bad beekeeper. And I was sharing this with with my friend who is also a counselor, and uh, he half-jokingly said, that uh, as a beekeeper, I should not be uh, linking my identity to my beehives. And that was just a good little reminder that uh, just because I have problems with my beehives doesn't mean that I'm necessarily a bad beekeeper. Now, I may not be doing the very best I could, and I'm certainly learning a lot along the way. But it shouldn't determine my state of mind, my sense of well-being, my emotions. Yes, I am a beekeeper, and my beehives are struggling but but that doesn't doesn't uh, diminish who I am as a person, as a man, as a Christian. And I think the same is is true of of pastoring. You know, if, if you're having problems within your church, um, yes, we need to look at ourselves and think, okay, is there something I need to do differently? Some way I need to grow uh, through this and be a better pastor. But the bottom line is, um, I having problems in my church doesn't mean that I'm less of a man, less of a Christian, less of a member in the body of Christ. I am these things, a frail human being joined with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection and connected to and vital to the body of Christ. So I hope that you'll focus on this truth that your identity is not in your church, your identity is who you are in Christ, Maybe look over those passages, Psalm 103, Galatians 2.20, Romans chapters 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and just see yourself in those texts and meditate on who you are 
and pray and thank God for them. And just remember and even say to yourself, I am a man in Christ. What a blessing that is. I am a man in Christ. That is your identity and that is the reality. The topic that I want to focus on today flows out of what we've discussed in the past two episodes here on Shepherdology. In those past two episodes, we talked about leading through change, or I think I called it essential steps to leading through change in the church. And as I mentioned earlier, I've been encouraged by some feedback and uh, have responded to questions that I have received. And specifically, uh, there were two topics that I talked about in that context of leading through change which I personally have experienced. One was um, leading a church through a transition of using only the King James Version of the Bible as our translation for preaching and teaching and our use in church life, to embracing a current English translation of the Bible. And the other specific example I talked about was uh, implementing community groups, small groups in the life of the church for the uh, purpose of fellowship, and sermon-based discussion. And I received some questions about each of those topics. And I know for myself, it's just helpful to hear someone talk about and describe their experience. And it doesn't mean that that I have to do everything they say or, or the way that they did it, but it helps. It helps to think it through. It's kind of part of the the research and the learning process of evaluating and considering uh, taking a step. And so uh, what I would like to do is talk about the transition that our church experienced of embracing a current English translation of the Bible. Now, I'm going to talk about what we did, and that is not necessarily what you should do. Again, it's just something to possibly learn from. Now, I know uh, in some church settings, um, this is not even an issue. Uh, the idea of which Bible translation to use and your church has uh, landed on or, or, or stands in a position of using a good, solid, current English translation, and it's not even on your radar. But uh, in some ways, I think of this as sort of an issue of the past, and yet I've realized, again, through, through responses, that, that in many churches, it's not. Now, please understand, I'm not urging you to make that change. Um, but I know it's something that a lot of pastors are thinking about and, and working through. And so if, if this is helpful to you, then that, that's what I want. And if, if it, the timing is right, and uh, maybe this just adds to your understanding in your research, in your prayerful consideration of embracing a current English translation, then great. That's, that's what I desire. So I'm going to just talk about a few of these components kind of uh, in categories. And let me talk first of all about the reason that when I was pastoring uh, the church where I was, and I'm just going to leave it nameless uh, for the sake of this uh, this podcast, not trying to make that particular church the issue. But, but as I pastored that church, there were some reasons that I considered this change of embracing a current English translation of the Bible. And the first one is this, and this I would say is probably the compelling reason I believe people should have the Word of God in their spoken language. I believe people should have the Word of God in their spoken language. And the English 
of the 1611 King James Version is not the language that people speak in the 21st century in the United States of America. Now, actually um, uh, found and printed out here, um, so I can have them in front of me, notes from when I went through this process and many of the presentations and uh, messages that I gave to our church during this transition, and this was back in 2009, I believe. So I'm actually going to read a few things from, from my notes. So here is a paragraph that I wrote out, manuscripted, so that I could say it very um, specifically, very precisely. And I'm just going to read this to you. And this, this follows with the reason of um, that, that burden that people need to have the word in their spoken language. Many believers continue to be blessed in reading and studying from the cherished and majestic text of the King James Version of the Bible. There is also great blessing to be received from translations that present an accurate and literal rendering of the original languages using the vocabulary and form most readily understood by the people of 21st century America. There is a growing number of believers who can better access the meaning and message of God's word through a more vernacular translation. In addition, the population we are commissioned to evangelize is becoming progressively less familiar with the literary style and archaic language of Elizabethan English. People without Christ must have the opportunity to receive the word in their spoken language. So that's what I read to our people as uh, I went through this process. And as I think about it from uh, uh, about 12 years ago that I, that I wrote that and presented that, I believe it just as strongly today. Now, I want to make sure you understand that I'm not in any way bashing the King James Version of the Bible. As I said in uh, what I just read, it is cherished, it is majestic, and it, is, uh, it is, has a place of high honor in the history of Christianity as a Bible text. But I also believe that people need the Scriptures, need the Word of God in their spoken language. Now, I want to mention that um, my friend Mark Ward, Dr. Mark Ward, has done a lot of work in this area and has written an excellent book called Authorized, The Use and Misuse of the King James Bible. Mark Ward, Authorized, The Use and Misuse of the King James Bible. And Dr. Ward does a lot with this issue of the need for understanding the scriptures in our spoken language and the gap that is there and some of the impediments that are there in that archaic English of the King James uh, translation of the Bible. So I encourage you to read his book. He also has a YouTube channel. If you go to, um, if you look up his book and you look uh, for a YouTube connection, you'll find that some excellent videos on this issue. I also interviewed uh, Dr. Mark Ward in episode 20 of uh, my podcast, Shepherdology, and so uh, you can access that as well and find some helpful thoughts there regarding shepherding church members who are King James only. So, so there's a lot of work, a lot of, of, of great helpful information in this area that you can access. I'm not going to go too much into that, but again, just circling back to, to my reasons, 
that uh, people need to have the Word of God. And it's important for them that uh, they have it in their spoken language. Now, I know there are textual issues. I determined that the underlying Hebrew and Greek text is not the issue. We have the Word, we have the Word of God, completely and accurately in the body of extant manuscripts. And so we have access to that. And yes, there's a process of determining what are the best readings based on alternative readings and all of that. But I determined that that was not the ultimate issue because we have the Word. The issue is getting into the spoken language of the people that we're ministering to. Now, I'll talk a little bit more about some reasons later, but that was the, that was the compelling one. And what I want to do now is, is talk some about the process that, uh, that we went through. And as I said, I determined that it was the right time for our church. Um, there was a lot of prayer and discussion among our leadership and uh, some preaching and teaching. So what I'd like to do is, is actually just share with you what my response was to one of the questions I received about this from the previous podcast. And the question had to do was, what, what was the process that you followed? So here are the steps that we took in pursuing the translation change, just, just general categories of steps. First of all, discussion with our pastoral team and our deacons who were involved in decision-making, the way our polity was set up. Uh, discussion with our pastoral team and our deacons. And I'll say as well, because I highly value their, their input, the deacons, in which we determined to explore the idea. So it was, it was a team discussion and decision to explore this idea of, uh, of employing a new Bible translation in our ministry. Another major step was a sermon series. And I did this in our setting on Sunday evenings in a Sunday evening service. And we covered the inspiration of the Bible and honestly, that was really just, a, uh, to me, a rich um, uh, celebration of the truth of inspiration. And I remember arriving at this thought, God has spoken. We have his word. And regardless of the translation issue, just that truth is, uh, is a great, great, rich, profound blessing. So inspiration, God has spoken. We have his word. Canonization. So that is on the human side of discerning what the Word of God is. What are the scriptures? What are the texts, the written texts that, um, that are the Word of God? And then transmission. So we talked about that. Now that can get a little bit technical and, and historical. Tried to make it, keep it interesting, um, not, not um, getting too far off in the weeds, so to speak, but just really... Again, kind of, kind of celebrating how God has preserved his word over time. So the transmission of the text through, through the centuries and uh, into English. And then, and then the whole concept of translation. What is it? How does it happen? And then English Bible translations. Again, celebrating God's hand in, in history and in people over the centuries of, of, um, of producing the, the written word of God in English. And, and then also talking about how we should interact with one another as believers on the issue of Bible translations. That's a very important uh, teaching topic. How should we view each other? How should we communicate with each other? How should we relate? How should we fellowship? Uh, 
with each other with this issue of Bible translations in mind. And my goal with this series was to instill great confidence in the Scriptures as the Word of God and to show why it was important to have the Word of God in people's spoken language. Another step that we took was uh, putting out a survey, a written survey, to determine what translations people were already using and then also what their personal Bible reading habits were uh, were like. And that was very helpful, and I'll share the results of that in a little while or possibly in the, the next podcast. So a survey to determine what they were already using. And then making a final decision as leaders uh, if we were going to make the change, and, and of course we did determine that, and then which translation we would use. That was a significant decision and uh, part of that as well. And then another step, presenting it to the congregation as a plan. So presenting our plan to implement the use of current English translations into our church life and the reasons for that. We also held uh, informational meetings where people could process what they were hearing, where they could ask questions about the, the reasons, uh, some of the you know, some of the historical elements or biblical elements we were sharing, our thought processes, what about, what if, even share some concerns or even objections. And that came up in those informational meetings. So that was just a contact point, a communication channel for our people. And that connects with what I shared in those last two episodes of Leading Through Change. And then uh, communicating clearly the steps for implementation, being very specific. And again, I'll share more of that here in the time ahead. Uh, what we were doing, how it was going to happen, how it would affect church life. And of course, all of that is woven, has prayer woven into it and uh, bathed in prayer. So that's a summary of the steps that we followed in embracing a current English Bible translation now, I'm looking here at another document. Uh, this is when I shared with the church that we were, in fact, considering going through this process, or we were going through this process. And let me just extract a few ideas here. One of them is Nehemiah 8.8. 8. So the text of Scripture found in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, describing when the people gathered uh, where they had rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and they were uh, elevating and um, submitting themselves to God's will and specifically the word of God and his direction in their lives. And it talks about those who stood and, and they preached the word. And here's the verse that describes what they did, Nehemiah 8.8. 8. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and they gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So you hear that distinctly. And they gave, gave the sense and caused them to understand. So you can see that, that understanding is a primary objective of preaching and teaching. And I remember in this process, in some of the questions and some of the feedback, hearing from people who said, you know, uh, when you read, and at that time I, w I was moving into using the New King James translation of the Bible, so very similar to the King James, but with updated current English wording, they said, we understand it. We understand it so much better. And that really was, was a big part of why we were doing it. 
And so as I shared this with, with our people, used that text, talked about the reason and the goal for it, um, I said, you know what, I'm, we're going to have a conversation. I called it a conversation about Bible translations. Uh, I'm going to be preaching and teaching and educating and talking with you. We need to do this without being afraid of the topic, without being afraid of somebody getting upset. We're going to do this in a very constructive way. But I also want to hear from you. And we will have channels of communication in which you can respond. You can ask your questions. You can share your concerns. You can even voice your objections. So this is going to be a conversation about Bible translations incorporating preaching and teaching and talking and educating and informing, but also listening and interacting. But we're going to do this in a way that is not hostile. Uh, This is not a conflict this is something that we're going to do in a constructive way as a church. And, and what I shared was my plan is to do this. Enhance our people's confidence in the scriptures. Enhance their understanding of the issues. Enhance their access to the word of God and ultimately enhance people's personal spiritual growth. And I want to enable our people to make informed decisions about using a good current English translation individually and as families. So I knew that people were already working through this individually. So if I just ignore the issue and never talk about current English Bible translations, I was leaving them to, to work through that on their own. So by, by, by talking about and teaching on this topic, it was equipping and enabling people to make good decisions on their own, regardless of what we did as a church. But then the the third part of my plan or goal for the plan is to implement the use of an accurate, clear, current English Bible translation that is literal and readable throughout our teaching and preaching ministry. So that was was the plan that I said we're going to pursue. These are the goals we're going to have in front of us. And that's what guided this. That's what guided my teaching. That was the motivation for it. That's what helped people know why we were doing these things and why we were exploring this topic. To enhance their confidence, their understanding, their access, their growth. To enable them to make informed decisions about current English Bible translations. And then for us as a church to implement the use of an accurate, clear, current English Bible translation that was literal as possible, and that's readable as possible throughout our teaching and preaching ministry. Now, I'm going to stop there because of time. And uh, I've really opened up uh, a lot of uh, ideas here, and I'll continue that in our next podcast. Um, I'll go back and talk about four major reasons that I considered this, and then again talk through a few more of these steps in the process. I'll also share with you a little bit of the feedback that I received. I actually have a printout of some of the questions people asked and the answers I gave. So um, if you wonder what people's questions are uh, when this when this is considered, uh, that might help you as well. And then I'll, I'll wrap it up, I think, in that next podcast. So uh, we'll stretch it out a little bit. But again, I just wanted to do this um, in a measured way, in a way that's helpful to you. So I'll sort of take my time with it. And I do hope it helps you to think about it. And however God might direct you and uh, whatever path you may pursue in this, I think it's helpful to think about the issue. Because, again, 
we have the word of God. Uh, God has spoken. We have his word. And ultimately, I think what it comes down to is, uh, again, a text that I um, used a good bit in this is uh, from 1 Peter chapter 1, where uh, Peter describes the scriptures as the eternally enduring word. The word of God lives and abides forever. It is the eternally enduring word. And what, again, an awesome blessing that we have the word of God. And as pastors, what a great joy we have to um, to share it with our people, to exposit it to our people, and to encourage them to experience the life change that comes from it. We have the word. I like to end these times with prayer, so I want to bring you before the throne of grace, my pastor friend, so if you can quiet your heart and let me just go before the throne in your behalf. We are men in Christ. We are so grateful to you, Heavenly Father, for performing that miracle of joining us to Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And we thank you that it's not I, it's not we who live out this Christian life and our ministry, but it is Christ in us, Christ in us. And so we pray that we may rest in Christ. I pray right now for my pastor friend who may be struggling with, with his identity and it being so connected to the church that he's discouraged, he's in despair, he's angry, uh, maybe even feeling hostility toward church members and disappointment with you. Oh God, I pray that uh, that, that man, that that friend, that pastor friend, would just be reminded of who he is in Christ. He's a man. He is joined to Christ. He's a member of the body of Christ. And rest in that identity and receive his sense of well-being, determine his state of mind, and guide and control his emotions subject to that truth. And then, Father, for pastor friends who are considering change or in the midst of change, Give them wisdom, give them patience, give them love for their people. But help them, I pray, to be guided by truth and by ultimate principles and issues and goals. And even for some who may be thinking about the issue of Bible translations and maybe there's some uh, problem in their church related to this issue, give them wisdom and I pray that some of the things we've talked about would be truly helpful. So I commit my pastor friends to you. We trust and praise you as our chief shepherd and look forward one day to being before you and hearing your commendation, but returning that to you in the form of praise, for you are the one who is worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Friend, and we'll talk to you again soon here on Shepherdology.